What we see today is that really the best brands are built on trust. Um, trust is sort of the foundation for, you know, the mission statement of Levi's, right? People love our clothes and trust our company. And so we see these iconic brands really using trust as the pillar um, to establish loyalty with the company. Hey everyone, George Soto here, and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Daniel Barber, who's co-founder and CEO at San Francisco-based. Actually, you're now in San Mateo, still right? Still Bay Area. No. You're still, still Bay, Bay Area. Area. All right. Yeah, but San Francisco. San Francisco-based Data Grail. Daniel, how are you, brother? It's good to see you. Really good. Yeah, no, great to see you too, George. Excited to come on the show. Absolutely. And congratulations. You just raised your recent round and you're crushing it. I was just actually telling someone recently who was looking at one of your competitors. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't even look. Uh, I won't say the name, uh, but, uh, but kudos to you. Uh, why Thank don't you. you tell folks a little bit about your career background quickly and yeah. uh, you know your path to now becoming the CEO of, if not the hottest, certainly one of the hottest data privacy uh, companies in in the world. Thank you. Um, yeah, so um, I grew up in Australia, as as you probably figured out by this point, um, and uh, moved to the US. Uh, you know, after after school, and went some spent some time in college in in Michigan. So I have some family from there, and then lived in Europe for a little while, um, and uh, then did my MBA in Japan. So I spent a couple of years there, and. Um, stumbled to San Francisco and, and sort of stumbled into a company called Responsus, um, which was really kind of a pivotal point in my career. Um, met some amazing folks there uh, and got to see some of the largest brands on the planet using just an enormous amount of personal information um, to power their campaigns, right? So sending billions of emails using the Responsus platform. Um, and that kind of shaped my path to today. Um, you know, through the following experiences, I, I worked at a company called Taldap. Um, we were, you know, really the leader in sort of email tracking templates analytics that now has become the sales engagement category and, um, you know, multiple billion dollar businesses in that category. Um, and then really fortunate to, to work at, um, you know, a couple of companies after that and advise um, companies like Chorus.ai, um, which is a service we're now using uh, for this this recording. And then uh, also outreach. So the, you know, leaders sort of in that category as well around sales engagement. Um, and then, you know, looking at the business problem of privacy, what became very clear, you know, going into 2018, so the end of 2017, um, I was fortunate to, to meet my two co-founders and we looked at these challenges that businesses have in just the sheer amount of personal information they have across the organization, um, particularly the fact that they don't actually know the applications they have let alone what's in them. Uh, and then there's just, you know, a um, continuous set of privacy regulations, starting with the GDPR, obviously, but quickly followed by California's regulation, the CCPA. Uh, and that has now led to the regulation in Virginia that we saw a couple of weeks ago, um, all with the same theme around sort of control and transparency. Um, and so what we see today is that really the best brands are built on trust. Um, trust is sort of the foundation for, you know, the mission statement of Levi's, right? People love our clothes and trust our company. And so we see these iconic brands really using trust as the pillar um, to establish loyalty with the company. 
Um, and so DataGrail is now the first really integrated privacy solution. Um, as you know, Georgie mentioned, we just signed our $30 million Series B last week and you know, secured investment from Okta Ventures, HubSpot Ventures, and DocuSign Ventures, among a few. Um, and Felicis Ventures led the round. Uh, and you know, we're fortunate to work with customers like Salesforce, Restoration Hardware, and Databricks. Uh, and they use the platform to look at things like automated data mapping to figure out what you've got and what's in those applications and then manage consumer requests from, from you, George, from me to perhaps restoration hardware if, if we want to know what information they have about, about us. Um, and then to also unify the email preferences. So the many systems that communicate with you and communicate with me, we should have control over what emails, what communications a company has to us. Um, and so that's what we're working on today. And um, honestly, we're just having a lot of fun, um, which I think is, is the most important part. Absolutely. Well, I can see that. And you have a phenomenal team. You know, one of the things that I didn't really think about was how many applications companies have and the data that lives in these different applications. And frankly, no one has a freaking clue where what no. is. And so if you do as a marketer out there, for example, or even a sales leader, now that we've had the explosion of sales enablement tools over the last uh, you know, couple of years, you're gonna be in deep doo-doo if you don't have a system or you're not aware of how you can locate and pull and then be able to take care of or manage this data. Why, uh, I guess if, if you're a CRO out there, Daniel, or a CMO, why should you be caring about this? I know I sort of said a little bit, but let's go a little bit yeah. deeper into it. And what are the latest and greatest sort of, I don't know if greatest is the right word, but the latest, I should say, in privacy laws or issues that we just need now in 2021 to be aware of, or we're going to be in real, real trouble? Yeah. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, sales, customer success, marketing, these functions that are, you know, generally consumer facing, customer facing, right? Um, this, this discipline is built on trust, right? We are doing this together because there is a trust that, you know, we're going to have some fun. We're going to share some insights and hopefully people enjoy it, right? Um, and so I think um, at this point, the CRO, it's all about building trust with your, your customer. The CMO, it's exactly the same, right? Conveying it. Um, and so um, that starts with transparency, right? Today you see sites like G2, you can find out um, what, a, what a service is going to be like to work with before you purchase. That's transparency at its core, right? You understand what you're going to get before you purchase. You can go to Glassdoor and you can see, hey, what is the company going to be like to work with before I join? Um, and so these services are now allowing and giving insight to someone before you engage with a, with a company or a product or a service. And so to that extent, tying this back to privacy, um, it's important to understand that, you know, a company is going to grow to an extent where they actually can't track the applications they're using, right? So the sales team will get too large where they've got so many applications, it just becomes very difficult. Um, this is particularly paramount in the technology vertical. So if you look at Okta's research in this area, um, and they just actually produced a report last month um, that demonstrated that, you know, since 2017, um, the number of applications that a technology company will use that is an Okta customer has gone 
up 56% from 99 applications to 155. Wow. So the average Okta company, customer, sorry, um, will use 155 applications if they're in the technology vertical, which that just means that um, there needs to be centralization of the privacy and security effort to the privacy and security team. And so I think that's what we're now seeing, right, where, um, you know, teams are saying, hey, I, I can't manage this. Um, I can't manage the privacy program as a, as a CMO. I need help. Um, and so I need my privacy partner, right, my person in the privacy team or in the security team to, to really help me. Um, and we see the leading teams really starting to centralize that effort into a, a group that's focused on, on this, right, whether it's privacy ops or whether it's security or privacy um, or IT, um, you know, even engineering, right? These, these areas will take on the responsibility for the organization, but they need technology and they need processes to actually make that happen. Um, otherwise, the CMO and the CRO are, are, are left to try to figure it out on their own. Um, and if you, any, if you talk to any CRO, um, the one thing that they're going to tell you is, you know, where they are in terms of their quota, right? How, how, are, you, are you at 100% or you're at 80%? And if privacy stands in between that, it's an unrealistic expect expectation for the organization to say, hey, you need to do this, but you also need to do this. That, that's, that this is not going to happen. Um, what are some so of the centralization happens. Centralization. Thanks for sharing that. What are some of the ways that privacy issues can impact these CROs hitting their quota? Because I think that's, I think yeah. we should spell yeah. it out because there's some yeah. real issues there. Yeah, I mean, the way that your team will collect personal information does impact your ability to hit quota, right? So using services that will, um, data products that sell, you know, phone numbers, email addresses, we all use them, right? Um, that's fine, uh, but being transparent about how you're collecting that information and giving your potential customers the ability to say, hey, how did you get my phone number? Right. And that shouldn't be a painful exercise for that person who was just asking a very simple question. Um, we've all had sales calls from folks and look, I've made those calls. So I, I know how it works. Um, but if, if the, the individual on the other end of that phone is going to ask you that question, how did you get my phone number? You need to have a method. You need to have a process and probably a technology to be able to facilitate that transparency, right. Of how you got that individual's number. And if you can't do that, that's going to put your business in, in kind of a, 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 a tough spot, frankly, um, because the individual has the right now, courtesy of regulation, to, to demand that. Um, yeah. And frankly, I think we all expect to be able to ask, hey, how did, how did you get my information? That's a, that's a fair request. Well, I remember I was at a company, I was doing some consulting, a B2B SaaS company, and all the GDPR stuff came out. And we were freaking mm -hmm. out. We were like, what does that mean? Can we send people emails? Can we cold call like the sales team? What yep. are the, the latest around that? Like, like if, if we're trying to figure this out and make sure that we're compliant as a sales and marketing organization right now, let's say at a B2B SaaS company, what are, what are sort of the, the things that we can do? What can't we do? And what systems, of course, Go, feel free to plug uh, Datagrail, of course, there yeah, to, yeah. to make sure that you're compliant. 
So um, I just first have sort of caveat here, just as legal disclosure. Um, this is not legal advice. Um, uh, I'm not a lawyer. Um, we do have legal guidance, but this is not legal advice. So anything I disclose at this point forward, um, uh, please consult with your legal team. Um, I just have to share that. Uh, you know, I, I think the um, there are a couple of things going on here. So in Europe, there's this a concept of um, opt-in type of privacy reform, right? Which it's essentially saying that um, in order to be able to contact me, uh, I have to opt in to that contact, right? So if you remember when GDPR came around, there's this a lot of noise around consent and do you have the person's consent to be able to actually email them or contact them? That is kind of an opt-in approach to um, privacy reform. Uh, in the US, so California's regulation, um, it's really an opt-out um, format which means that you can contact someone, um, but they need to have the ability to say, hey, do not contact me again. I want you to delete my information or I want you to restrict the sale of my information. Mm. Now the sale of the information gets quite, um, this is a gray area and a lot of legal teams, privacy teams, security teams have really struggled with this um, because the sale is, it's a broad definition of a sale. Now, if I just sell your phone number to someone else that I see on the street down the road, obviously that's a sale, right? But um, if I sell it to a loyalty provider, right? Um, or if I engage in a loyalty program, is that the sale of your information? In most cases it is. Um, if I use an ad network that goes and sells your cookie ID across a broad based network, um, is that considered sale? In most cases it is. Um, and so this definition of a sale is actually uh, quite wide. Mm. And so as a result, businesses need to really understand where they align on the definition of a sale. This is particularly important for um, businesses in the US, right? So if you are doing business with people in California, you want to understand, does your business sell information in any capacity? And if you're a sales organization, you need to understand that definition because that that's important. Um, uh, in terms of the mechanically, how does this all work, right? So um, it's really about an exposure exercise. Do you have customers in Europe? Do you intend to have customers in Europe? Do you expect people to visit your website from Europe? Because if you do, then you need to give explicit and provide the ability to give explicit consent to collecting their personal information. So this is, you know, things like a, a cookie banner um, and Those making sure that when you, correct, and when you, um, uh, opt-in to receive email communications. You need to have explicit opt-in um, for those if you intend to work with businesses in Europe. Um, if it's in the US, um, there are less parameters around what I just described. Um, however, as I said, you may need to have a disclosure statement on your website, on your homepage that says you sell information. Mm. And if you do, then you need to allow the individual that's visiting your website to be able to complete that exercise quickly. Um, there are also a lot of definitions around what I just described in terms of the timelines. Um, so for example, in Europe, if I were to contact you and you were a business that um, is holding my information, I, I need to be able to receive my information in, in 30 days. Um, and I have the ability to, to ask for that information to be received in 30 days. And if, if it's not supplied, um, I can go to a regulator and ask for it to be supplied. Um, in, in California, that date is 45 days. So there are different time windows for those requirements. Um, but what you're going to see in the U S is there'll be varying, um, requirements. 
by state. So is Virginia the same as the GDPR? No, it is not. It just passed two weeks ago. So folks in Virginia now have similar rights to folks in California, but it is, is it exactly the same? No, it is not. Gotcha. Well, let's talk about the demo because I don't think that us as salespeople or even you know marketers who are engaged in, in these demoing motions really think about privacy issues, right? Like, yeah, I guess yeah. the most obvious is like, don't show you know, real life dem- data on your demo to folks. But what do we do often? We do, we, we do that, right? Because we don't have anything yeah. else, right? Obviously, yeah. we here at Reprise are, are working on helping um, eliminate those issues. But how does the demo get affected by privacy issues? And what should we be looking to do to make sure we're not violating anything from a demoing perspective? Yeah, so... Um, first off, you know, recording conversations is, is valuable. Um, and so having disclosure or at least acknowledging that the call is being recorded is sort of a first good step. Um, the second piece is, yeah, you're right. Um, in the applications that we may be demoing, whether it's our own or someone else's, we may be surfacing personal information about an individual um, that's not on the call. Uh, and so, yeah, that is a disclosure of information you probably don't want to do. Um, and so if there are ways like reprise to, to, to sort of obfuscate that information, that's beneficial because, um, you know, uh, you're not sharing information you shouldn't. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it, it follows through from a standpoint of um, once you've completed the demo, um, that doesn't then mean you've opted the person into marketing messages, mm. right? Um, and so what we do see teams do, right, if, um, you know, perhaps the, the opportunity doesn't progress, Right, so the the sales opportunity, they they do the demo, then they finish the demo, and then it doesn't move forward. Um, they'll put the the company, the person, on a drip campaign with Marketo. So now they've they've explicitly uh, said, I'm going to put you in a, a an email sequence, um, and the person may not actually be consented to that. Um, and so there's some decisions around that, um, but also then how does the person choose what content they want to receive? Uh, and so giving them the ability to say, hey, I, I want to choose um, information about the product, but I don't want to receive your sales offers. Um, that That is something that's going to help reduce the privacy risk um, after you've completed the demo. So there's sort of the pre-demo, during the demo, and then obviously post-demo. Post-demo. Now, our, I this as I'm thinking about my next question, it seems so stupid, but is there a difference between a sales email or message or outbound versus in a marketing from a privacy or legal perspective? There definitely is. Um, so this is where, you know, go to market groups and look, I've, I've come from the grow to market team myself for the last 10 years. And so um, uh, it's a, a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, I think understanding that in Europe, right, if you are engaging with someone and they are protected with the GDPR, um, they need, you need to have explicit consent from them to contact them. Now, sales teams will um, sort of go around that and engage folks that perhaps they haven't given consent. Um, that is a risky venture. Um, and so, you know, is it a path of compliance? No, it is not. Um, again, this is not legal advice, but if that's a path that you choose to take, just be aware that there are potential consequences if you do so. Um, in, is it the in same the US, via phone and email? Same thing? Yes. Got it. Yes. 
Um, in the US, it's a little bit different. As I described, it's an opt-out scenario. So if you've collected someone's information, you, you are allowed to do that. But if they contact you uh, or you contact them and they ask for their information to be deleted or they ask where you got it from or they ask, you need to stop selling my information, you need the mechanisms and the, the processes in place to actually complete that exercise. Gotcha. Daniel, thank you so much for your time, for your wisdom, for, again, remember folks, this is not legal advice. So definitely <laughs> speak to your lawyers, but uh, I'm really thankful. And I think the audience is thankful that you're, you've been able to share some observations that you've made running this business. If folks want to learn more about your content, I know you have a podcast and yeah, probably hiring a heck of a lot right now. What are some good <laughs> yeah. social yeah. handles or URLs to reach you? Yep. So you can just go to www.datagrail.io um, and you know you can see how customers, as I mentioned, are using the platform today and, and what that looks like um, and sort of see the solution there. You can find me on LinkedIn, um, just Daniel Barber on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter, um, which is Gaijin Dan. Um, that's Japanese for foreign person. Um, so if you if you look on uh, on Twitter, you'll find me there. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely enjoyed it, George. And um, yeah, look forward to chatting again soon. Yeah, Daniel Barber is a man of earth. He he's been all over the place. Lived in Japan. I remember when you were in Japan doing your MBA there. I think it was mm -hmm. right. Yeah, I remember the stories. I listened. <laughs> Anyways, brother, good to see you. I wish I could give you a hug in person, but hopefully maybe uh, one day soon, sooner than later. Right. Indeed. Indeed. Cool. Well, have a great afternoon and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. You too.